Hello and welcome to episode 335 of the Fabulous Pelton Cast, sponsored by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I'm your co-host, Kevin Pelton. And I'm Tristan Carcino. And we're coming to you in separate locations this week. I'm in Seattle, Washington, home of the four-time WNBA champion, Storm. And I'm coming to you from Renton, Washington, home of your Super Bowl 48 champion, Seattle Seahawks. Hello! The NFC West leading Seattle Seahawks, as we discussed in Sunday night's emergency pod. Can I just say, before we get to anything, you said we are we are host or we are sponsored by our good friends at Pagliacci Pizza. I called Pagliacci Pizza earlier today. I was going to be in Bellevue, which is the nearest Pagliacci. If I have one complaint about Pagliacci Pizza, it is location in Renton, Washington. But we're not here to talk about that right now. I called it Pagliacci Pizza to order a pizza. It was one of the best food ordering experiences I've ever had in my entire life. Wow. Being able to call them and them just having your account on file. Can you imagine any other business where you could do that at? I mean, you know how you know much fucking work I go through? Like if I'm ordering Pizza Hut to reset my password every single time, <laughs> I can't just call them up and they're like, hey, Tristan, how's it going? And I'm like, I'm great. How are you? That's the customer service. What? And I'm like, I think I have a gift card on file. They're act- they're like, you actually have three gift cards on file. Oh, there you go. Wow. It was it was an incredible experience. I I almost I thought I thought about sending the owner of Pagliacci a message about how great my experience was ordering from them. Well, there's still time to do that. Uh, should we get into this week's beer? Absolutely, I'm, we should. You're not drinking this, but I am drinking. From our friends at Jellyfish Brewing, as well as our friends at Super Deli Mart down the road from me here in West Seattle. It's the Super Jelly Mart Centennial Fresh Hop IPA. Of course it is. Yeah. 100% Centennial Fresh Hops. So excited to try this after purchasing it, obviously, at the Super Deli Mart. I'm not sure if you can get it elsewhere besides at Jellyfish and there at the Deli Mart. Where is the Jellyfish Brewery? I didn't know that they were our friends. (laughs) <laughs> I mean, everybody's our friends, but yes, I think, uh, I think except for George Denise, the San Diego wow. wave, and now wow. maybe the Kansas City current. <laughs> maybe Kansas City should have been our enemies for a while. We'll discuss that, I guess, in a second. Uh, I I believe they might be in Georgetown. They're definitely somewhere in the South, greater South Seattle area. Then they're definitely our friends. Exactly. You had yeah. me at South Seattle. Yeah, as one does. Uh, let's uh, see here as I look this up. You you mentioned off the top yep. uh, our, our emergency podcast that we did on Sunday night talking about the Seattle Seahawks victory in Los Angeles over the LA Chargers. Uh, all Everything that was said on there is still relevant. So if you haven't listened to that, we're probably not going to discuss that game that much on this podcast. Um, but I, I think there might be some points revisited as well. I mean, the one thing that doesn't hold up is we didn't know about DK Metcalf's health back then, and the news seems good that there's a possibility he could play as soon as this Sunday. So, well, yeah, we'll we'll talk about that in the Seahawks section. Yeah, yeah, we'll get. We to didn't that. even really discuss the DK injury that much on the no, emergency pod. Though. Probably not as much as we Which should is, have. Well, it was kind of it was an unknown. We didn't right. want to discuss an unknown. It was just professional podcasting, really. <laughs> Since when did we start that? <laughs> All right, let's week's toast. Let's start with a farewell. 
to John Ryan, who announced his retirement at age 40 after the CFL season. Ryan last punted in the NFL for the Seahawks in 2017, culminating a 10-season run that included being part of the Super Bowl 48 champions, but had played the past three seasons in his native Canada, most recently with the Edmonton Elks. There we go. And, and obviously with one of the most iconic moments in the Super Bowl 49 run uh, before the Super Bowl was canceled. Yes, <laughs> with, with 30 seconds left. Uh, congrats to Alana Cook and Sofia Huerta, who were named to the NWSL Best 11, along with second team picks Jess Fishlock, Rose Lavelle, and Megan Rapino from OL Reign. Uh, congrats to Cal Raleigh, who is the only Mariners player named a Hello. finalist for this year's AL Gold Glove Awards. Big dumper. And then lastly, a congrats to Braylon Trice. The D and Dumper stands for defense. <laughs> there you go. Congrats to Braylon Trice, named Pac-12 Defensive Lineman of the Week for his performance in UW's win at Cal last Saturday. Nobody liked my Braylon Trice real name, no gimmicks uh, <laughs> image. But I will, I have to say, I made that after the, the... The finest Photoshop, to be clear. I the made finest it, was, it was done on my phone, not on Photoshop. Not I even in, word, in a paintbrush like most of my graphics? No. Listen, after the second possession of UW versus UCLA, when I was under the impression that UW was going to go undefeated, I made it. UW drives downfield, scores the touchdown. I think it was on fourth down, right? Fourth down, they dial up the touchdown. Braylon Trice makes an amazing play. Come back, and I was like, here we go. Let, let's go. There's going to be even more amazing Braylon Trice plays. We'll be up 40-6. to six. And so I, I made that in that moment, was waiting for the right time. I thought I would be posting it that day. <laughs> well, Many things have happened since then. Uh, a couple of losses have happened since then, but not on Saturday. Braylon Trice now with six and a half sacks Monster. on the season after he picked up two on Saturday against Cal. I uh, feel like the, the theme of this podcast and maybe the Pelton cast in general is that people are really bad at predicting how they will feel in future situations. That is, I feel like that's really what we've honed in on in the 2022 NFL season. And <laughs> I like project, that as our lane. You project out. I mean, it's, it's really true. Like you just, that's what we do all the time is basically projecting out how you will feel in a given situation when something happens and then all sorts of things happen. And then you feel different ways. <laughs> yes. Thanks for explaining life to us. Uh, well, you know, speaking the of some things that, distilled down. <laughs> speaking of some things happening and feeling some different ways, it's time for our NBA Seattle update, sponsored Hello. by our friends at Pagliacci Pizza. To talk about the Portland Trailblazers, I don't know if the why well, I called it the NBA Seattle update necessarily. The now not un, the now not undefeated Portland Trailblazers, and I'm so mad at you. You went out of your way. This is like fucking World Cup trying to keep Italy out level <laughs> cheating. You were like, I can't do this Pelton cast with an undefeated Blazers team. I cannot handle that. Right? So you were like, we have to record this podcast on Wednesday night, not Tuesday night. You were like, the Bla you had it circled on your calendar. You saw that there was an L on the calendar for the Blazers against the Miami Heat at home. You were waiting for it, and you pushed it back. I'm, I'm honestly, I'm disappointed. I got to be honest, I thought they had a better chance of winning this game than the one I went down to on Monday night where they hosted the Denver Nuggets. And oh, host they were, them, they did indeed. <laughs> they were they were not good hosts, as it turned out. They were very rude hosts. Uh, in the first half, Denver led that game and seemed like they were going to maybe cruise. Portland was struggling, but the Blazers managed to hang around, hang around, and were down six at halftime. 
And then Anthony Simons happened with 22.63 in the third quarter, a magical performance that turned that game around as the Blazers moved to 4-0 for the first time since 1999-2000. Wow! They have Who not... are some stars of the 99-2000 team off the top of your head? Was Brian Grant there? Yes. You, not, you do not know who was on the 99-2000 Rasheed team? Rasheed Wallace, kind of Damon, Stra- Damon, Strawberry. <laughs> Damon Stoudemire, right? Yes. Was Isaiah Ryder on that team? Uh, I don't think he was still there in 99-2000. Are we talking, this pre-Bonzi Wells, or is Bonzi Wells there? Bonzi Wells might have been there. I know we're getting a little fuzzy, but you haven't named Arvidas Sabonis oh, at any point. Arvidas. Jermaine O'Neal was technically on that team. They traded him in the wake of it, I believe. Or maybe they had traded him before it, but I think he was on that team still. Wow! So that was that was the last Blazers team to go four zero, and they they went to the conference finals and were famously up on the Lakers in the fourth quarter. So people in Portland were not necessarily excited about pointing out that the last time it happened in nineteen was nineteen ninety nine two thousand. Although I pointed out, speaking of how you might feel if things happen, that all things considered, blowing a lead to the eventual champions <laughs> in the fourth quarter of Game Seven of the Conference Finals, pretty good outcome for the two thousand twenty two. You said they blew this lead trip. to the Lakers. Yeah. Okay. So another thing that we know will not repeat itself. Oh well. Does that seem super likely? That one of those teams be will the be there. Seed? Does not seem super likely. Uh, in the wake of all that, I I thought that was a different Blazers team. Also, Scotty was... Scotty Pippen deserves a shout out here. That was a professional Blazers team. Oh yeah. Uh, was Detlef there? No. I think Detlef was there. Wow, they had Cause... Detlef Shrimp and Scotty Pippen. They did. Man, that is a that's a good team. That was a cheering for the Blazers. I like this is all pretty fuzzy for me. We we were still upset that the Sonics had gotten knocked out by the Utah Jazz in the first round. Still yes. playing the playoffs under protest. <laughs> <laughs> Just as we're playing the MLB playoffs under protest. Uh, so when the Blazers were undefeated, and I was under the assumption that we were going to be podcasting yesterday before you went out of your way to say that we couldn't because the Blazers were undefeated. I get it. I understand. You don't want to admit when you're wrong. <laughs> I mean, four and one is still wrong. Although this Damian Lillard calf strain is troubling. What? <laughs> You're not aware of this that he left the game in the third quarter. They would even, like Miami had already opened up a bit of a lead, but that's when things really went south. Is when Dame left the game. I went to the grocery store like beginning of the third quarter, and was woefully unaware of this information. <laughs> wow, you're really learning. I love it when you learn about things on the podcast in real time. The darkness that I felt on Sunday, we talked about this, right? DK gets injured. The Seahawks are up 17-0, and then all of a sudden, the Chargers come roaring back. DK is injured. I'm like, it's done. It's over, right? We're never winning this game. We talked about that. That's the darkness that the Blazers experienced today. Except in their case, it was correct. Uh, so he said they after one game, we'll see about what... Yeah, but the Seahawks won the game was the point. See, Lillard said afterwards, would have continued if tonight was a playoff game. Game will miss Friday when they host the Houston Rockets, but hopes to return after that. Okay. Which I, I can't say I've looked at the schedule beyond that. I'm not going to panic. But my boy Shadon also had a pretty nice game today, correct? Shadon has been playing well for you know someone who is, is inexperienced at a high level as he is. So that's that's been a positive moment. The Blazers... You, you mentioned the Lakers. They they beat the Lakers on Sunday opposite the uh, Seahawks game, coming from behind in the fourth quarter of that one. 
uh, getting the second game-winning basket of the year from Jeremy Grant, I believe. Wow. Who uh, uh, is they also won in overtime on Friday against Phoenix in their home opener and uh, had beaten Sacramento down in Sacramento in their season opener. Okay, so I was thinking the Blazers, right? They, they just can't help oh, themselves. The Blazers also have an extended stretch off. They're, they have a a break. They don't play after Friday until a week from Wednesday night against Memphis. The Blazers, they can't help themselves, but have two very good guards. Actually, you know what, by the way, I need to interrupt you to talk about something. So what? the Blazers have this time off this weekend. And I know that Dame needs to get treatment on the calf strain, but there's something very important that Damian Lillard needs to do this weekend, what which is, is go to the Oregon coast. So the Bla- I would strongly recommend it, to be honest. The Blazers, during their timeout, they sometimes do the, it's like a this or that, and they do a basically a bracket bracketed tournament. And one of the first ones was, I, I forget what, what was against the Oregon coast, but it was the Oregon coast against like Multnomah Falls or something like that. And Dame had to admit that he had never been to the Oregon coast, to the shock and chagrin of the crowd in Portland. Even me, Gasps. as a non-Oregonian. <laughs> still doesn't a, he know about our childhood memories exactly still an important <laughs> part of our child <laughs> i think the oregon coast is lovely and it's not that far from portland it's a lot closer to portland than yeah. the washington coast is from washington also the washington coast low-key kind of trash so not as, like admittedly not as good oregon's I coast is better i would choose multnomah falls if your options are are, are puffins or the washington coast you're choosing puffins 100 times out of 100 Choosing Haystack Rock every time. Sadly, the Puffins, I, I think, are mostly gone. I cannot <sighs> confirm or deny. Anyway, Anyways. I, I was thinking to myself, the, the Blazers, they can't help but have two amazing guards at any time, right? They trade CJ, Anthony immediately moves into that role, right? Yes. And, and I was thinking, why don't the Blazers, this tandem that they have, have a nickname like the Splash Brothers? I mean, people didn't try to brief, briefly make, I believe, the Rain Brothers a thing for Damon CJ. That's terrible. I hate that more than anything. <laughs> oh, it's just too derivative. It's not terrible. It, just, it doesn't sound good. The Rain Brothers, those two words do not sound good together. Well, I guess the idea is like, you know, you make a lot of threes, you're bringing the rain. Okay. I, I was going to make a long list, but I, I stopped making the list when you told me we weren't podcasting. So, okay. The two options, I thought I might have had a third. I feel like they need to rhyme or at least be a pun of some kind, right? I know that Splash Bros isn't, but like, come on. Okay. So they call Portland Rip City, right? Correct. I came up with the name Trip City. They shoot threes, like triples. Oh, okay. I got, that's, a, that's a thinker. <laughs> it's it's just that Trip also has other connotations. <laughs> it. <laughs> It's also a thing that can happen in basketball. The other, the other best one that I came up, I actually went through a lot of names. I was going to type them all out. I kind of sad that I didn't. This again, this was yesterday. It's lost in the sands of the time, just like like the the loss versus the Miami Heat today, and apparently Dame Lillard's injury. But I'm so sad that the initials don't work out for this. Uh, which I was thinking about important events that happen in the city of Portland, and there's shockingly almost none ever. Right. They've never hosted a World's Fair. Uh, They never had a kingdom. Their coast is better than Washington's. But, you know, it's not Portland, really. So what I came up with, the most important event. This is I'm watching News Radio Season 5. The most important event that has happened near the the city of Portland, Oregon. The D.B. Hoopers. 
Oh, wow. That actually, but they need to be named Dame It has D, to be Dean. Right? We've got the Dame. We have got the Dame. We just need another Hooper <laughs> with a B. Okay. Well, I really, I went, I, I, I took a micro, er, tel- microscope to Anthony Simon's name to see if I could find a B in there anywhere. <laughs> Microscope to his name. Not D- even D- not a. Hoopers even, makes no sense at all. Not but, even in his middle name is there a B. Wow. Uh, what is his middle name? Tyreek. Tyreek. God damn it. I, I didn't go that far as to look up his middle name. But that's pretty good, right? DB that, Hoopers? That is that is very good. I, I re- respect that. Uh, we're going to need a lot of development from Greg Brown the third to make this a possibility. <laughs> <laughs> wow. I'm go. I'm going with it, no matter what. When we talk about the Blazers, when we talk about uh, Damon and Anthony Simons for the rest of the year, they are, they are the DB Hoopers. <laughs> well, the uh, amount of people who are probably even aware of DB Cooper, I feel like, is a. You'll recall several years ago, I tweeted about DB Cooper because I was amazed that some of the people that I was hanging, some of my friends that I was hanging out with on a vacation, did not know about DB Cooper. I can't remember why I referenced this. I. Uh, and then I tweeted about thing to it. Reference all the time. Yeah, when when don't I reference DB Cooper? Uh, and and I tweeted about it, and many people on Twitter do know about DB Cooper. Dame, Dame Lillard responded that he never heard of, he oh, never no. been to the coast, never heard of DB Cooper. <laughs> well, so anyways, a promising start for the Blazers. They are playing the kind of style that you would have hoped, and. You know, taking advantage of the athleticism that they have now at the forward spots. And they the opening game, they had a lot of success going small. They took Nurk off the court and played Justice Winslow as a center. Those lineups have gotten a little bit of traction. Uh, a nice move by Chauncey Billups on Sunday against the Lakers to put Nurkic on to play Russell Westbrook. <laughs> well, they were down 10. They were already playing the Lakers and they were down. But then they made that change and everything flipped. So, and the vibes on, on Monday night, in that Denver game, my first trip down to Portland of the season were immaculate. So obviously not as good Wednesday night, but uh, I'll be back there for the Memphis game next week. And hopefully Dame is in the lineup and the vibes are good again. I, I mean, they're winning the game. I, th- I'm, I'm giving that an asterisk, right? If Dame's playing, they're coming back and winning that game. Okay. <laughs> Luca also that. came down the stairs and with glee when he saw the score was like, they're not going to go 82 and oh dad. And I was just like, you fucker. I was like, don't make me bring up Ichiro again. We will fight about something else. He was so happy to report that the Blazers are not going to go 82-0. And now, now that I know that Dame got hurt, I'm still, it's it's 81-1 with an asterisk. (laughs) And if they lose this Rockets game. This is always how you know that Luka is is mini-man. He was so happy. It was like... He thought that I actually thought they were going to go 82 and 0. <laughs> and you know why he thought that? Why is that? Because I did. Oh, wow. And they still will. 82 with an asterisk. You did tell me the other night that you thought that they were. Uh, you asked me how many wins are possible in an NBA season, and I told you there was 98 between the uh-huh. 82 of the regular season and the 16 in the playoffs. And you said somehow the Blazers were going to get more wins than that. <laughs> Facts. So. Never know what you might think. Should we get into our... What is the least amount of wins you can have in a season? Because that's how many wins the Lakers are going to (laughs) have. Well, zero. Zero is the fewest win. Somehow they're going to have less. Uh, The record, I believe, well, the 
in the shortened season, Charlotte won, I want to say, six games. <laughs> it was like six and 60 in 2012, which wasn't the worst winning percentage, or seven and 59. Who did they draft after that? Who did they draft after that? It was not a Michael Kidd girl crest. It was That's, not was it, Anthony Davis. Was it MKG? Yes, it was. I remember there was a time when they were drafting a lot of white guys, right? Yes. Uh, MKG, who featured prominently in uh, my list of the most recent NBA starting lineup where all five players are no longer in the league. <laughs> nine still nine and 73 is still the worst record in a full season. Obviously, the players are not going to do this. 10 and 72 is the uh, 2016 Sixers, who narrowly avoided taking that claim from the 72-73 Sixers. Oh, that 72 season had all sorts of records. There were a lot of extremes at that point. Uh, should we get into the run, the roundup? All right. Let's start with the Mariners. We get a little bit of news in Jerry Depoto's season wrap-up press conference that Jesse Winker underwent knee surgery earlier in the month of October. Will also need neck surgery coming off this season. So hopefully those injuries a factor in a disappointing first season for Winker in Seattle. It's funny baseball. I mean, I think all sports are like this, where it's like everybody kind of is a little bit injured at the very least or a lot bit injured in some cases. And it's just like, if you're still alive in baseball and competing, that's why you have a full roster right at the end of the season. But if you're not competing, everybody's just like, well, I'm just going to get the surgery right now. So yes, do it as quickly as possible. have not been surprised by uh, the glut of injuries that have happened that would, that have come out. All right. Those are only Mariners news, but I do have a question. Yes. Do we take anything from the fact that the Astros then went on after sweeping the Mariners in a hard-fought, the closest sweep ever in a division series to sweep the Yankees in the ALCS? I've I've thought long and hard about this <clears throat> like 10 minutes ago. And I did a thought experiment, as you would say. And I was like, well, okay, if the Astros go undefeated, has any team ever gone undefeated in the baseball playoffs? I... I mean, yes, because the, the baseball playoffs used to be just the World, the World Series. Series. Yeah. <laughs> I don't know if anyone's gone undefeated. In the wild in card the, era? Yeah, in the wild card era. I was like, okay, well, if the Astros go undefeated, the Mariners probably, most likely, would have played them probably closest of anybody. And I was like, do I want that to happen? And I was like, fuck no. Absolutely not. So, sure, maybe <laughs> we could take something from this, but we do not want the Astros to win anything at all. Uh, even going back to 1969, the 1976 Reds, who are the only undefeated team in in the playoffs, the 2005 White Sox and 1998-9 Yankees both went 11-1. and So the Reds were the last team in what year? 1976. And that was just the World Series, right? No, that was World Series and ALCS, I believe, or NLCS okay. in their case. But sure. since you've played this minigame, it's an extraordinarily difficult thing to do. Yes. But no, I, I I just don't care. We're not taking this is not fucking moral victory time. Whatever. We can say to ourselves the only important piece is that if the Mariners had won game one, we know in our heart of hearts they're winning the World Series. <laughs> but also yeah. that just gives like the the Astros won, so it's still kind of just frustrating, right? It's a little bit like Jordan hit that home run and ended the playoffs for the Mariners. Yep. 
So it, it doesn't really make me feel better. No. The only thing that will make me feel better is the team being extraordinarily aggressive this offseason, uh, which I think we're going to get. Seeing the quotes from Jerry Depoto about J.P. Crawford, and it's just J.P. Crawford needs to be a second baseman. That's that's what we the way that we have to approach this. Adam Frazier's a free agent, right? He is, yes. Uh, kind of got the vibe that Adam Frazier is not going to be coming back, uh, which I I would not be surprised by after the year that he had. And I like Adam Frazier, but there are, there's a lot of shortstop is the deepest free agent position, and I would not be surprised if the Mariners made went out there and spent the most money that maybe they've ever spent in free agency more, more than, than Robinson Cano. Oh boy. I, I just I think that is I think they will at least try. I think do you remember how big, Well, yeah. Do you remember how long Robinson Cano's contract was? It's still going, right? There's still one more <laughs> year, isn't there? He added the one extra year. Jay Z did. <laughs> it was so long ago Jay Z had an agency. It was that long ago, yes. Is Robinson Cano's contract still going? Let's see here. Definitely uh, outlasted yes. Chris Peterson by many yeah. years. Yes, the Mariners will still be taking a $4 million cap hit for, for Robinson Cano in 2023. I think they will, again, they will, they will discuss or put an offer on the table for more than that. What was the total value of that deal? 10 years, $240 million. Oh, yeah, easily. Easily? They, they, they will definitely, they will discuss with somebody like Trey Turner money that exceeds that. Okay. What baseball needs to do, though, I, I don't think there needs to be a salary cap, but I think baseball should just cap the years on the length of the contracts. Ten years is a very long time. It's just, I mean, it I mean, it sucks. No, in fairness, I think that's partially because of the fact that like baseball players get so screwed on the front end of their contracts. Yes. No, that's I sure that, that is an anti-player perspective, but I'm just like, for real. That's what we're doing here. Yes. You you basically just have to write off the last handful. The Mariners didn't think that Robinson Cano was going to be playing on the team in years oh. nine and ten. I I don't know if you're familiar with this technique of uh, forecasting called wish casting that many teams like to employ. People don't know how they will feel. People are bad at predicting <laughs> how they will feel after something happens. <sighs> well, we'll see how we feel. That's like if the podcast golden rule. The Pelton Cast Gold. Oh, I gotta put that in the. I gotta put that in the uh, the glossary. Pelton Cast Golden Rule. I love it. All right. Anything else on the Mariners? This Russell Wilson has really made us hone in on this perspective. I will say. I just want to say we can appreciate Geno Smith without needing to contrast him to Russell Wilson. I just want to say that. Just want to put that out there. Geno Smith's been awesome. Don't need to talk about him as the anti-Russell Wilson to say that Geno Smith has been awesome. I, I don't think you know this, but the Seahawks have the Broncos draft pick next year. I, I, I am aware of that information, yes. Okay. And and that they have the fifth best odds at the number one pick, according to Football Outsiders playoff projections. <laughs> if that was the number one pick, I just can't even, like... I, I mean, I ultimately, I think the fact that they have no incentive to lose yes. will matter, but... I don't feel like most teams are tanking at the end of the season, though. Like, if if Russ, they're not going to make Russ play if they if he's hurt and they're not in playoff contention. Even if they don't have draft pick incentive, 
You're saying they're trying to get him to retire? Like, no, 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 I didn't say that. Depends how much stretching he's done on the team flight. <laughs> just tinies. I was like, that sounds like the just the most horrible experience. I get nervous walking down the aisle in an airplane, right? Too I'm sure. like, something I do is going to make this plane crash. <laughs> what? I can never imagine <laughs> one of the funniest like revelations I've ever heard on a podcast. You think that like your weight is going to bring down a you know hundred and eighty passenger plane? I think it's from the Seinfeld episode when Kramer the the finale when Kramer had the water stuck in his ear and kept jumping. <clears throat> yeah, they were on a. I mean, not that I think that that was scientifically sound. <laughs> they were on a tiny You're arguing the specific plane. science of the Seinfeld episode. <laughs> I'm not even, I am literally, I have no nerves when flying at all, right? But I just, if I were to jump up and down an airplane, I I would feel like I was going to fuck something up. But he wasn't jumping, was he? He was doing high knees. You have to jump to do that. I don't know. I I don't know. It it really is. Russell Wilson is something. He is Russell Wilson all the time. I just if that if that pick became but you you understand what I'm saying right if Russ is like there's any chance of him getting more hurt and they're two and eight or something like that yeah no I I think that's the case yes I I don't think they're gonna run Russell Wilson in the ground just because they don't want to give up a worse draft pick to the Seahawks but we do occasionally like the Eagles pretty clearly tanked the season finale that one year like it it happens maybe for a game yeah. But that couldn't be enough to make the difference. So we just it's hard see, to get to look, the one pick. I loving Russell Wilson. We want to see as little of him as possible this year in Denver. We want to see all the Brett Ripping we can. I'll take all the Brett Ripping you have. Uh, let's talk about the Kraken, who rallied from a three-one first period deficit last Wednesday against St. Louis to force overtime before losing four-three. Uh, rookie Shane Wright assisted Ryan Donato's goal in that one for his first career point. Kraken didn't head it out on the road and beat the reigning Stanley Cup champion Colorado Avalanche 3-2 in Denver with Martin Jones closing out the win in goal after Philip Grubauer had to leave due to injury against his former team. Grubauer subsequently placed on IR with a lower body injury. In his absence, the Kraken lost 5-4 Sunday at Chicago, conceding twice in the third period after taking a 4-3 lead to the second intermission. The reason we couldn't podcast last night actually had nothing to do with the Blazers. It was because I was there. As the Kraken dominated previously four and one Buffalo by a five to one margin for their first home win of the season. The homestand continues Thursday versus Vancouver, Saturday versus Pittsburgh before the Kraken head out on the road for a three game road trip starting in Calgary. So despite the uh, poor start to their home schedule, Kraken definitely looking a lot more competitive than last season at this point. Uh, Seattle Sounders announced they've exercised 2023 contract options for seven players, most notably Jordan Morris. They declined the options for Will Bruin, Freddie Montero, and Alfonso Ocampo-Chavez. The press release indicated the team is still in, quote, active discussions with Montero, suggesting a likely return, and since he is not apparently in active discussions, a likely departure for Bruin, who turned 33 on Monday, has spent the last six seasons in Seattle. Will Bruin, I feel like, is the oldest 33-year-old on the face of the planet. <laughs> oh, I'm pretty sure we can come up with some older ones if we try hard enough. I Just doesn't it feel like he's been on the Sounders? When you said 33, I was like, that cannot be right. <laughs> yes, it does seem like he's been on the Sounders a long period of time. You said only the last six seasons? 
Yeah. He was here and then he was gone and then he came back. No. Will Bruton has so. just only been here for six seasons. Do you think Will Bruton was like part of the inaugural Sounders? I remember him being there. I think you're maybe thinking of Nate Jaqua. I remember liking Nate Jaqua. Both, both, I believe, players who played for Houston Dynamo before coming to the Sounders. Uh, O.L. Reign hosted their semifinal match last Sunday against Kansas City. That was also a sporty event that I was at. It was three consecutive days of sporty events. Rain, Blazers, then Kraken. Uh, but despite drawing the largest standalone crowd in franchise history to Lumen Field, they lost 2 nothing against Kansas City, a heartbreaking outcome for the team. This one really kind of played out exactly, I think, as the current would have liked. They scored in the fourth minute uh, before you know the game had really established any sort of flow whatsoever. Uh, uh, it was a weird play where the rain were unable to kind of like the ball ping ponged around in the rain's back line. They were unable to clear it. And then uh, Fallon Toas Joyce, the rain's keeper got a hand to it, but wasn't able to fully stop the shot that slowly trickled in over the line, which I was like basically right on the goal, that goal line. So it was right in front of me and it was a tough to see. And that allowed Kansas city to play the kind of style they would have wanted is a road underdog in this situation just put a lot of numbers behind the ball and play for the occasional counter. And they finally hit one of those, uh, you know, about 15 minutes into the second half and were able to create the two nothing lead. And despite the fact that the rain had, you know, the stronger expected goals, 1.5 to 0.9 dominated possession had tons of corners in this one. It was just one of those classic soccer matches where the underdog plays the script perfectly to beat the favored team on the road. Yeah, it's a night nightmare scenario. Giving up that early goal in this in this situation, when you're when you're the better club, and you know that you're gonna have more chances, that early goal is it's the most deadly thing that can happen. Sometimes you come back and you get it right. You get the equalizer, and it happens. One of those balls goes in, but obviously it's soccer, and that doesn't happen every time. Uh, what was the environment like though? This one I had a show to go to, so I couldn't go to it. But what what was the environment like in the stadium, especially you know vis a vis maybe being at big Sounders matches? How did it feel? You know, the comparison I made to you when we talked about this offline is it kind of reminded me of when the Sounders pre-MLS played in the U.S. Open Cup against MLS teams back-to-back years, and we went to both of those matches, one of which they won on penalties. I think the other they lost in extra time, Yeah, if I recall correctly. And it was kind of that same thing where, like, clearly there's a lot of fans here who are interested and kind of aware, but waiting for a big moment to jump on board OL Reigns. And myself included, that was the first game I've been to this season uh, with their move to Lumen Field. It was also a, a star-studded crowd. I was sitting about 10 rows behind Julio Rodriguez. And there was a point late in the first half, like I, I had no idea. And then he stood up and like, I saw him and I was like, I recognize that guy, but I wasn't, wasn't sure like where I recognized him from at first. It took me a second to place. Oh yeah, that's Julio. Yeah. And then I was like, wait, why is Julio just sitting out in the middle of the stands here? It's the uh, then, of the people. But then people started coming up at halftime and that's when it became clear. Yes. Yes. That was in fact, Julio Rodriguez, not just a guy who happened to look a lot like him. That's awesome. I love those moments when you're like, oh, I know you. Oh, it's TV. (laughs) (laughs) I don't know who you are. You're a celebrity. Yeah. Not some acquaintance of mine. It is kind of funny, though. The the thing that it triggers in your brain or whatever, like how it kind of is at the same place of just like 
the moment of recognition. But it's hard. if you see Julio on a baseball field, you're like, that's Julio, right. right? But you see him out of context, and you're like, why do I recognize this face? Sporting a rain jersey and a scarf. So Ugh. he he was into it. Uh, and stayed Julio's basically... in his can do no wrong era. Yes, he is. He stayed the entire match though. So uh, even with the rain down two nothing in the stoppage time. We were about to see so much sponsorship locally and nationally from Julio Rodriguez. Oh, like, he deserves all of it. It's going to be, means. he's going to be in a fucking Subway ad or something, Dairy Queen. And you know what? We're going to go eat Subway and Dairy Queen because of it. I It'll mean, be ho- worth it. Hopefully new Nike ads a la Griffey. Like, oh he's my the, God. He, he is the new Griffey. For is that anybody standpoint. doing baseball Nike ads? Probably not. I can't imagine so. It's not really if, that profitable. If Bryce that. Harper wins the World Series also, just be prepared for the onslaught. <clears throat> so, uh, yeah, no, I would say the crowd was pretty frustrated about the way the match was going. It's frustrating. The, I mean, those types of situations, especially giving up the second goal. You didn't even get the fun, like, the frantic last six minutes or yes. whatever. The real playing soccer. Like, obviously, they were still doing that, but it was... You know, like if it were one goal, you had a chance, but two goals, just not realistic at yeah. that point. So Kansas City will go on to play Portland in the NWSL final on Saturday after the Thorns got a late goal to uh, beat the San Diego Wave. Ugh. Real, real no win situation God, I for hate us. Sports from Portland. <laughs> Ugh. So that'll be on Saturday night. Never would I cheer for a team from Portland in prime time on CBS. Uh, the Is rain... that opposite our Blazers? I, like, no, again, they have the weekend off. That's why Dame Lillard can go to I know, the Oregon Cup. You understand the joke? Yes, okay. Uh, we did get some exciting news for the rain that they will train at the Starfire Sports Complex beginning in 2023. Pretty natural transition with the Sounders planning to vacate Starfire for their own training facility currently under construction in 2024 but uh, also you know a needed one this was something that actually came up in the report that was released about coaching abuse in the nwsl a few weeks ago that you know the facilities were not professional standard for many teams in the league and oil rain was brought up as one that were that was still the case they had been dividing their operations between their their practice field was at bellarmine prep and their locker room weight room and other facilities were at foss high school which aren't that far apart. It's only like a five-minute drive. but still, still just two different high schools? Yeah, pretty ridiculous. <laughs> so this is going to be a big upgrade for O.L. Reign, and it makes a lot more sense now that the team is playing in Seattle. Hopefully, Where, on where is the new Sounders facility going to be? Long Acres. Oh. <laughs> I'll recall. Written Washington. Oh, I love it. I was like, these fuckers are moving out of Tequila. Oh, hello. <laughs> As we discussed earlier, they're changing cities, even though it's like a two-minute drive between those two locations. I love it. Okay. I Again, liter- literally managed to bike between those two locations. We knew they were friends when you said South Seattle. Yes, exactly. <laughs> well, sadly, professional soccer has come to an end in Seattle in 2022 and did not bring... It brought you the, the CONCACAF. Uh, Champions League trophy, but no domestic trophies for Sounders in O.L. Reign. But there is Seattle soccer still going, still with the chance of some trophies. And that's the top-ranked University of Washington Huskies coming off of last year's College Cup appearance and loss in the final. An unbeaten 12-0-2 
and top ranked after drawing at rival Oregon State 1 1 on Friday. Number one in the country? Excluding nobody. How did this ju- just enter the chat? <laughs> that's, that's, yeah, that's our bad. That's our bad. I, I really didn't keep close enough eye on you to Ben Wow. Wow. Over the season. But uh, I will give credit to Seattle Times was on this one talking about this. <laughs> In addition if to the us, Seattle Times didn't notice, they are a newspaper. I mean, yes. beats. <laughs> in addition to the listener Grant Wojan. We're being funded by Pagliacci Pizza over here. <laughs> in addition to the listener Grant Wojan giving us a DM last week to uh, remind us to be on that radar. To have them on our radar. Thank you, Grant Wojan. Yeah. We were we were not on our toes. Okay, so what is the next the next well, we'll, uh we'll you get into it. Okay. So they they got the equalizer in the eighty-sixth minute from Nate Jones on Friday night to uh, draw against Oregon State. 4-0-1 in Pac-12 play at the midway point because there are only six schools that play soccer <laughs> in the Pac-12, which includes San Diego State. I think the Pac-12 may include San Diego State soon. <laughs> Fair point. <laughs> uh, number two, Kentucky, and number three, Duke, are both also unbeaten and receiving first-place votes in the pool behind UW, but have more draws than the Huskies do. Uh, Lucas Me- Lucas Meek has paced the attack for UW with nine goals, eight assists. Elijah Paul also has nine goals. And balance distribution has Chris Myers with eight assists and Imanol Rosales with seven. This weekend, Huskies visit the Bay Mania Showdown Sunday at number five Stanford. The Huskies handed the Cardinal their only loss by a 3 nothing final at Husky yes. Soccer Stadium on October 6th. So... There you go. Stanford would be good at soccer. <laughs> I mean, they're really you know good at better. They're good at better? most sports. God, we beat them at everything they try to do. I don't know about everything. Everything. Uh, all right, this is awesome. So when, when is that match? basketball? That that is on Sunday. Okay. Is that are these matches televised at all? I did not put that in the notes. So you'll have to give me a second here to look it up. When it's when it's UW number one ranked soccer, I will go out of my way to call them matches. <laughs> uh, yeah, both both of this weekend, Thursday at Cal, Sunday at four p.m. against Stanford, uh, Pac-12 networks. Okay, yeah, I'm going to be coming home for the Seahawks game. Yes. <laughs> so, so, but you know, you, you might be able to make it home by the end of that one. We've got our Halloween celebration. All right. Elsewhere on the Are UW. Are you coming to front. that? By the way, I am. Okay. Elsewhere on the UW, I can't even call you and have you narrate for me. True. Elsewhere on the UW front, UW women's basketball picked to finish tenth in the Pac-12 media and coaches polls ahead of Arizona State and Cal. They have not finished higher than ninth since Mike Neighbors' departure after Kelsey Plum's senior season in 2017. Huskies lost to defensive stalwart Nancy Malky and fifth-year senior Missy Peterson from last year's team that went 2-12 and in conference play, but returned three starters, including leading scorer and rebounder Haley Van Dyke. Huskies will face Warner Pacific in an exhibition game on Monday to uh, kick off their season. Today, Wednesday, was UW, it was Men's Basketball Media Day for the Pac-12, and UW was picked ninth in the media poll, one spot ahead of where they are in the Ken Palm projections, uh, ahead of Cal and Oregon State in both of those. But the media also has them topping Utah, which is 41 spots higher in the Ken Palm projections. So I'm not really sure what the difference is there. As we mentioned last week, the Huskies will face Alaska Fairbanks next Tuesday in their exhibition game on the men's side. 
Also, I hadn't realized until I was looking up the schedule that the men and women are going to be playing a couple of double headers in their first few games of the season. Really? Uh, women at five, men at eight. To uh, help make up for the fact that they are both playing low-level competition in those games. Huskies also got another recruiting commitment this week from six foot eight Seattle prep small forward Christian King, son of one-time Sonics first-round pick Rich King. Wow! Little did we know, first off, that Rich King had stayed here. Apparently, he works for Amazon now, and uh, had had kids who I feel are like maybe we prospect. talked about Rich King working for Amazon at one point. Did we? Yeah, I think we did. I think that wow. came. Wow. If the listener recalls that, I, clearly that might have I been don't. offline. You and I definitely talked about Rich King working for Amazon now. Huh. Maybe this, yeah, maybe we came across it at some point. Uh, Christian considered a strong outside shooter. He's rated a three-star prospect by 247sports.com. Are you sure that he committed to the University of Washington? <laughs> I mean, they, they did appear you to be his only. strong outside shooter. I, I know. Okay. I know. And Mike Hopkins is aware of this. <laughs> Mike Hopkins is like anti-shooting. From Seattle, Washington. Washington legacy, right? Yes. Good outside shooter. Are you sure that he committed to the University of Washington? Can I tell you a Rich King story? Yes. I learned like a fundamental truth about basketball from Rich King. I feel like this might have been when we were talking about him working on Amazon that you told us before. Perhaps so. This sounds familiar. Anyway, what was the fundamental truth about basketball you learned like, from Rich King? Yeah, I guess I, I may have mentioned this story before, that everyone can shoot in warm-ups. Because one time we got to the Coliseum early, before a game, and Rich King was just draining threes in pregame. And Rich King, in his career, I'm not sure if he, he made a three-pointer at any point in an NBA game. Yeah, he was zero for two in his NBA career. And that's when I, at age 12 or 13, 11 through 13, somewhere in there, was like, yeah, it turns out it's actually not that meaningful if someone can make threes in warm-ups. What if you learn the exact wrong lesson at age 12? And that the relation was actually that Rich King should have been shooting threes? Yes. I mean, probably should have, yes. In 2022, Rich King is a stretch five, and he's a monster. Somehow somehow he's a 66% career free throw shooter, Rich King. He just signed with the Mavericks or whatever for $12 million a year. <laughs> and you said it was a steal. It was one of your favorite moves of the offseason. Look, put some respect on Maxi Kleva's name. <laughs> Does he shoot too, Maxi Kleva? Yeah. Of course he shoots. Hmm. Is he still on the Mavericks? He is still on the Mavericks, yes. <laughs> they also now have Christian Wood, who... Uh... You did the mock off season and you kept telling everybody how the entire time the only player you cared about was Rich King. <laughs> I was going to try and sign him to New Orleans then they had a stretch five next to Zion. <laughs> wow. So it, it's nice to go back and, and rethink how you misperceived history when you were 12 years old. <laughs> it's amazing. I didn't really understand. Who was, the, the... was it George Carl or was that Casey Jones action? It was George Carl. Okay. You Rich should have King. been you should have been down there telling George Carl to let Rich King cook. Uh, Casey Jones was the coach when Rich King was originally drafted, but uh, George Carl took over midway through his rookie season. Okay. They would uh, let they let Big Smooth shoot. I don't even know yeah. how that happened. I, maybe because he wasn't seven feet. I don't know. But also he was like a very good three point shooter. Oh, Big Smooth's best players of all time. 
So anyways, uh, Rich King also has another son, Christian's younger brother, Beckham, a class of 2025 recruit, although Christian told 24-7 Sports that UW is not recruiting him at this point. So How old is he, you said? Class of 2025, so he'd be a sophomore in high school currently. Beckham King? Yes. Okay. Maybe well, it's a family name. Let's. <laughs> it is for David Beckham. Uh <laughs> Let's talk about UW football, which His is great grandfather, Beckham <laughs> King Senior. <laughs> Whatever. Not named after David Beckham at all. UW football, which is heading to its bye week at six and two after a twenty eight twenty one Saturday at Cal that was a little dicey for some periods there, but uh they they got it done and, and came close to covering the seven and a half point spread. Prevented Cal from scoring on seven possessions, including all four in the first half and the in punts. Uh, the other three went for touchdowns of 65 plus yards, the first of which gave Cal the lead because the UW offense was held in check in the first half by a really like conservative Cal defense focused on taking away the big plays the Huskies have thrived on. Huskies settled for three field goal attempts in the first half, going two of three to lead six nothing at the break, but scored touchdowns on their first three drives of the second half, including a two point conversion. Uh, before moving into clock killing mode down the stretch of this one. I, I think there were just like a couple of bad luck plays in the first half too. This was a game that I, I haven't obviously looked at the advanced statistics on it or whatever, but like I think UW pretty confidently played a better offensive game than Cal played. Yeah, they were the better team clearly in this game. My favorite part of were you watching with the sound on? Were you in Seattle? I didn't remember <laughs> where you were. So I didn't watch the first like quarter basically with the sound on because because I was at uh, Beer Star getting the mac and cheeseburger from our friends at Little Woody's oh, a second time. There we go. But then, uh, then I returned home, and it was the first UW game that I've actually watched a TV broadcast of all year, basically. My favorite part was Rod Gilmore the entire time complimenting Cal about how good they were doing defensively. And it was just like Michael Penix 20-yard pass, Michael Penix 15-yard pass, like 8-yard run. I don't know if it was a lot of 20-yard pass. It was in, a in lot of like Michael Penix 8-yard dump off to Wayne Telepapa. No, they, we were getting, like, carving them up. Like, Penix looked awesome in the second half. It was just, In the like, second half, it was different. I agree. That's when he just was praising Cal for everything they'd done and still was doing it after. It was just like... I thought they had the right approach. I, I agree with Rod Gilmore on that. I mean, Penix only averaged 7.3 yards per attempt in this game. They might have had the right approach, but Michael Jack, Penix is Jack unstoppable. Plummer, yes. I mean, look, the right approach is still not necessarily a good approach defensively but another another pelton cast golden rule (laughs) (laughs) i mean look you had your when you're a thinker it's a thinker just like db hoopers when you face the uw off trip city (laughs) it's not like they're they're good options against the uw offense there are only less bad options you don't think that's fair isn't always a good approach (laughs) I mean, you're just not going to stop the UW offense. You have to score a bunch of points against them. That's the, yes. like, that's the fact. No, and it's true. Some teams have managed to do that, including Arizona State. <sighs> I don't, but I don't think the difference offensively was as big as you think it is. Cal had a higher run-pass ratio, but they averaged the same number of yards per pass. Basically, UW did have a higher yards per rush in large part because the the way that they were able to sack Jack Jack Plummer throughout this game. 
They had uh, five sacks as a team, two from Trice, one from ZTF, one from Jeremiah Martin, and one from Boyoi Tunufi. I, I think yeah. we have a really good sense of going into the bye, and I think having a bye will be very nice, of where UW sits in the Pac-12, though. And I think, UW, I, I think UW is pretty clearly like near the very top of the second tier of the Pac-12. So if you look at FPI, they're 35th and rank 5th in the Pac-12. So you've got like the four legit contenders in the Pac-12. I mean, UCLA is not that far ahead of him, uh, ahead of them, but just by virtue of the head-to-head win, they're a legit contender. I, I think UCLA is in that exact same territory. Yes, Oregon, USC, and Utah being the other three that are ahead of them. But then you look by FBI efficiency, it's interesting. They're actually sixth. Oregon State is slightly ahead of them just based on this season's results, which is going to make for a real showdown a week from Friday at Husky Stadium. It's not. There's not. There's not going to be a showdown. I'm so sorry. Oh, there is going to be a showdown. We're winning that game so easily. This is this is the same attitude that brought to you by the Huskies are going to go undefeated. <laughs> brought to you by the podcast Golden Rule. <laughs> I I I can predict how you're going to feel after that Oregon State game, and it is not as confident as you're feeling right now. I'm confident of that. Uh, Huskies 13th in offensive efficiency, 90th defensive efficiency even after saturday 91st in special teams one thing that did help against cal michael powell returned at cornerback for the first time since the season opener splitting time with davion banks there was like one really notable possession uh drive where like cal kept throwing at banks and then they pulled him middle drive for michael powell i think they still went on to score a touchdown in that one but it wasn't wasn't quite as easy after powell got in the game he was definitely a marked upgrade, even coming back from injury. And then Dom Hampton also returned at the Husky position where he hasn't played for several games. No, and with this week off, I think UW's secondary getting a chance to get healthy, just practice for a couple of weeks together. It's going to be really, really nice for them. I still the secondary looked better. Be good. I, but. This, there seems to be, maybe it's a communication issue. Maybe they just haven't played that much together. Something still seems a little bit off in the secondary where they're just missing players pretty completely. Uh, but individually, like the man coverage that they're playing is not necessarily that bad. I mean, we did see Denzel Perryman has certainly been their best corner over the course of the season. He's generally played quite well. He got burned badly in this one. I'm sorry, Jordan Perryman. I don't, I don't know why I always want to call him Denzel. And and it was a two it was a one possession game in the end, but like uh, that touchdown that Cal scored, I mean that fourth down that they threw up, I thought there was not a chance in hell that, that was going to be a touchdown. Denzel Perryman is an NFL linebacker. That's why. That's what I thought. Yeah, that's yeah. like that's a player. Yeah. So, uh, also could see at some point Edifuan Ulafosio back after the bye, uh, who has not played this season. So that would be even though the linebackers I think have generally played pretty well. We get, we saw some good moments from Christopher Mall. Uh, he got, I think, more playing time against Cal, but still would be nice to have Yulafoshio back in the mix. So I'm looking forward to it. It's nice to have a week off, but uh, I'm excited for Friday night under the lights in Seattle, Washington against Oregon State. It's it's going to be odd, like just even from a logistical standpoint, haven't played a Friday night game since Stanford 
back in the 2016 season, the dominant win over them at home. Oh yes, I remember. And there was, but that was Thursday in, night against UCLA. Yes, way way back was, when it was freezing cold. I'm pretty sure 2010, the first year that they got bowl eligible under Sark. Mm-hmm. And that was they needed to win win out. I think their final three games, which yep. was home UCLA, home Wazoo at Cal. At Cal being the God's play touchdown, yeah, from Polk. Uh huh. Yeah. So it'll be interesting. All right, let's wrap up with the Seahawks, who are up to seventh in DVOA tops among NFC West teams. They've now cracked the top twenty in defensive DVOA at nineteenth, and their playoff odds, according to Football Outsiders model, up to fifty-seven percent. Wow! With an average of nine point three wins. I'm liking my odds on the over of six and a half. Or actually, I think I got the, I think the line I got in Vegas was five and a half. Really? So, yeah. They're wow. two wins away. Can we revisit those? Do you, you sure you want to? Not all the lines, just just the locks that you bet on. Uh, you I don't know, even we, know if we've mentioned that those are going to the fantasy football winners of each of our leagues. We have not mentioned that, as a matter okay. of fact. So each of the locks of the three leagues, you, me, Ben Baldwin, are all each, some of us are in the same leagues, but are all each have a league that we are alone in. And whoever wins the leagues that uh, uh, that were to beat us in those leagues, unless you're the champion, I think you're number one in the Champions League right now. Yes, I am. Uh, then you get the tickets, Kevin, in Vegas, put down $20 on each one or 10 Yep. $20, $20 on each of our lock picks for over-unders. I'm pretty sure that mine featured the Raiders. Okay, so my locks were Arizona under nine wins. Oh, God. This is what's on the spreadsheet. That's it like may ki- not kind of teetering. Kind of teetering. Is it? Because uh, they beat the still, Saints? Well, yeah. And, uh, and speaking of which, my other lock was New Orleans over eight and a half. <laughs> so that one is teetering for sure. Your locks... Were Cincinnati over nine and a half. I actually I was thinking about that one this weekend. They are right now. Cincinnati's right again. Houston over four and a half. Ugh. And Ben did three. How is he... Houston not over four and a half? Like, how is that not guaranteed? Where do they add in DVOA? The half also that they got in the tie does not count towards that. Ugh. You'll know. I still, after seeing Houston play, I still stand by that one. I was nervous about Cincinnati for a second, but they seem really good. Houston is 32nd in TVOA. <laughs> really? They are, yes. Wow, I'm kind of shocked by that. I mean, they're they're barely behind the Colts, who are 3-3-1, three, three so after they those two teams tied. Okay, and what were Ben's? And so Ben had three of them. We're going to have to figure out how to divvy these up, but he was all unders, under the Raiders, <laughs> eight and a half, under Tampa Bay at 11 and a half. Oh, God. That Looking is... very good. Yeah. And under Tennessee, nine and a half. I have no idea. I, I couldn't even. What are they, four and three? They are four and two. So, there you go. All right. A lot of football left to be played. A lot of football. That Tampa Bay one is looking really nice. Really, <laughs> the, the Seahawks quite. over is looking like probably one of the nicest bets of the year so far, though. Yeah, that was the one I just put down for myself. <laughs> so, that one's not going to be involved in the fantasy football leagues. I've already, I've, I haven't cashed in. <laughs> You've already cashed in? I haven't cashed, cashed it, but I already won the Seahawks money line against the Broncos in the season nice. opener. There we go. So, believing in the Seahawks 
even though I don't believe in the Seahawks, has weirdly paid off for me this season. Okay, so playoff odds are up to 57%, you said? Yep. Currently the favor- in the playoffs as of today. They're the favorites to win the NFC West at this point. The, statistically, I mean, the favorites. Yes. Now, not wow. Not greater than 50% to win the NFC West. That 57% includes wild card odds. But they have the highest percentage of odds of any team in the NFC West to win the NFC West. They do. Wow. I mean, I think that's partially... I Odds don't do this, but... Well, it's partially that they already have the lead. They have the lead, and there's no clear team statistically who looks like the best team in the NFC West. And even though the 49ers have a head-to-head win, the next matchup between those two teams is in Seattle. Yeah. So. There you go. I I mean, again, we talked about it on Sunday, but I think as of now, you just have to be feeling good about the season so far. That's it. I think there's definitely benefit to, like, let's not look too far ahead. Let's just enjoy this as it comes and not worry about, you know, one of the headlines I read about the Giants is like, they've increased expectations for themselves with the six and one start. And it's like, no, no, that's the wrong way to approach it. Just take everything as gravy. Yeah. Just enjoy it. Enjoy that there is a game happening between the New York Giants and the Seattle Seahawks in late October that has playoff implications. I, it is at least in the NFC. I believe I read this. It, the only matchup between two above 500 teams. That is wild. Someone had a tweet about the that. The Packers and the Bills are playing each other this week. The Ravens and the Buccaneers are playing each other this week. And this, of all matchups, is the only matchup between two over 500 teams. Well, it might just be among two over 500 NFC teams. Because the AFC has generally been stronger to this point. But I'm scrolling through and I'm not seeing any other ones. It definitely ain't Jigs Broncos. Yes, this is the only matchup this week of two five hundred. Which is why it's America's Game of the Week on Fox. Wow. National audience. You've got Gino Revenge. <laughs> I, I hadn't thought about that element of it. Everything in this game. No, I back to back weeks of Geno Smith Revenge games. <laughs> Probably a little stronger revenge against the Giants, all things. We play the Jets as well, don't we? Oh yeah. There we go. Wow, the Gino Tour. Coming for everybody this year. It's it's too bad he can't play full rivers. Or get revenge or, against the Seahawks. Um, or Mark Sanchez. <laughs> I think he got Mar- revenge on Mark Sanchez from the booth. It, it was just a, like, it was amusing how amazed Mark Sanchez was at what he was watching, having seen rookie Gino Smith up, at, up close and personal. Uh, should we talk about the Giants? Yeah, I... I well, I guess one other thought on this. So the Niners are playing the Rams this week, right? So one of those teams have to win. Are they both? Are the Rams? The Rams are three and three, and the Niners are three and four. Correct. Okay. And the Niners are favored by one and a half points at SoFi Stadium. As you will okay. recall, the Niners uh, generally own the Rams, despite NFC last year's NFC Championship game, right? Okay. So the Giants are six and one, despite having the second lowest DVOA among six and one teams through seven games per Aaron Schatz. The only team below them, the 1982 Washington, in a strike year. All seven Giants games this season have been decided by eight points or fewer, including tackling Christian Kirk at the one yard line. 
to preserve their 23-17 win last week in Jacksonville. Uh, but the Giants have improved over the course of the season to 14th in DVOA, just about average. And there's a big discrepancy between their 7th-ranked offense and their 29th-ranked defense. The big question of the week, is Daniel Jones good? To steal it from Mike Sean Dugar in the, uh, the man-to-man podcast where they like to ask this to people. But he might be now. He's 8th in the EPA plus CPOE composite on rbsdm.com, up 20 spots from last season under new head coach Brian Dable. Was named the NFC Offensive Player of the Week after rushing for a career-high 107 yards last Sunday in addition to throwing for over 200. Jones completed a career-high 67% of his passes, throwing just two interceptions, the second-lowest rate among qualifying quarterbacks behind Tom Brady. His 6.5 yards per attempt is still pretty bad. That ranks 25th among qualifying players, according to Pro Football Reference. He's actually getting sacked at a career-high rate on 9.6% of his dropbacks, third highest among qualifying quarterbacks, but is averaging a career-high 49 yards per game as a rusher and has fumbled just twice after 36 in his first three seasons. Jones' 16 EPA as a rusher leads all NFL quarterbacks just ahead of Josh Allen for QBR. So definitely seems to be some elements like Dable came from coaching Josh Allen in Buffalo and overseeing his his dramatic improvement from a talented high drafted prospect who wasn't very effective into one of the league's best quarterbacks daniel jones is not yet at that point but similar transformation under brian dable it's early uh saquon barkley who's playing through his shoulder injury remains a boom or bust running back he's just 31st among the 39 qualifying running backs in football outsiders success rate with ken walker the third ranking 39th out of 39 among that group in success rate but uh, is average in DVOA, ninth in DR based on his volume of carries. Barkley's five runs of 25-plus yards are tied with three other players for most in the NFL, including Rashad Penny had five. Uh, Ken Walker III has three thus far. Barkley leads the team with 25 catches, and after Sterling Shepard suffered an ACL tear in Week 3 and Kenny Galladay suffered a knee injury in Week 4 that sidelined him to date, Journeyman Richie James, longtime 49er, the only other player on the Giants with more than 16 catches. Uh, Rookie tight end Daniel Bellinger, who's third with those 16 catches, has been the most reliable Daniel Jones target with an 89% catch rate, but he'll be out indefinitely after undergoing surgery to repair a fractured eye socket and septum suffered last Sunday. The Giants also in that game lost rookie left tackle Evan Neal, a top 10 pick to a grade two MCL sprain which should sideline him the next three to four weeks per Tom Pelissero. Defensively, the Giants' bottom seven in defending both passes and runs, according to DVOA. They are tied for the league low with just one interception, but have forced a league-high eight turnovers via fumble, with the Seahawks second at seven. Their passing defense actually pretty average in terms of the results, but hit hard in DVOA by the opponent adjustments. They have only faced one quarterback ranked in the top 15 by the EPA plus CPOE composite thus far, that being Lamar Jackson, who ranks 10th. So Geno Smith will legitimately be the best quarterback based on this season's results the Giants have faced all season. Incredible. What a time to be alive. Uh, Number five pick Kayvon Thibodeau has just one sack in five games thus far after missing his first two due to a preseason MCL sprain. But pro football focus has him with 14 pressures. So he's been 
getting to the quarterback and just not finishing plays, which is sort of actually kind of his reputation in Oregon, some Jadeveon Cloney-esque numbers in that regard. Uh, Giants also allowing a league high 5.7 yards per carry just ahead of the Chargers. So another opportunity to let Ken Walker the third cook in this one. So what's going on? What's going on in New York in the Meadowlands? How how, are the, how do the Giants have the record that they have? You going through this, right? There's nothing that really stands out to me aside from some improvement from Daniel Jones. I mean, there's nothing they are top, like, again, top 10 in offense. But that's it? Could you be top 10 in offense? They haven't even scored that many points, though. They have not. Which is partially, I think, because of the fact that your defense ranks 29th. What's going on? <laughs> right? Like... Full stop. Is it just that the Giants are extraordinarily lucky? I mean, they have a series of fourth quarter comebacks. That's not usually the most sustainable thing. From from what you're describing to me statistically and understanding, I'm just like, who is Daniel Jones even throwing the ball to at this point? It's a great question. Uh, Daniel Slayton is back in the lineup. So that's Darius something. Slayton. Darius Slayton is back in the lineup. So that's something. But yeah. It's a it's a good question, and I I mean, is it really just Daniel Jones as a runner? Is Dime such a good runner? I mean, eleven for one hundred and seven last week. It's pretty deadly when yes. you see it. It's interesting because I kind of assumed that they would have a high third down conversion rate since they're. Let me check the double check this again. They are twentieth in yards per play, and to be top ten in DVOA. Maybe it's a lot of opponent adjustments because I assumed it was third down conversions, but they're only 17th in that as well and have two fourth down conversions on the year. There's so, something going on in New York right now. <laughs> they are that record. They are still running a lot of plays per drive, which is something I figured was sort of the case. They're sixth in most plays per drive. The Seahawks, after last season's uh, never possessing the ball, they're league average basically in plays per drive. So is that a Saquon thing, or is that a... You, you said it wasn't third down luck, but is it just... They're not really hitting big plays, but they're just... I mean, they are hitting the occasional Saquon big plays. They're not hitting big plays in the passing game. It is just a, a really hard team to put my finger on. And I, I don't think I've watched any Giants games really at all. I have not. Being on red zone. But it is one... I mean, I've always kind of cheered for dimes. Right? It's just like there's something about Danny Dimes where you're like, I kind of want this guy to be good. Right? He's so ridiculous. What I don't his know if whole, I'd say that. His whole skill set, right? He's the dude who's like running hysterically on Thursday night football for like 80 yards. You know, like there's something about Dimes that's kind of endearing. Uh, and I, I do think that given that offensive EPA, like you have to say Brian Dable is kind of a miracle worker at this point. Obviously having a healthy Saquon is nice, but, you know, from... I was talking last week about how much I think receiver talent matters and the giants are rolling with almost no receiver talent healthy at this point. Yep. So it, it just doesn't make a lot of sense to me what they're going to do. And I do think say what you will about Pete Carroll. Everybody has, I feel like this is the type of offense that Pete Carroll is kind of uniquely equipped at handling. Yeah, I'm not sure what to think about that because I feel like scrambling quarterbacks can give them difficulty. And also, when you recall, you really think of a time that a scrambling quarterback like Kyler did nothing. Not Kyler. 
Bull Keller a couple of years ago did. Teams that want to run the ball against against the Seahawks, teams that want to run the ball a lot against the Seahawks, usually are not that great at it. If that's your stated goal, is you want to run the ball a lot, I think Pete is with a healthy Big Al Woods. This isn't fucking Taysom Hill running, right? Like it's a different thing. I think there are some similarities to it. Also, Atlanta with Marcus Mariota, like they're pretty high up. They, they don't throw that much. Any... That was more Cordero Patterson tore them apart. But they don't throw any passes, and they were very successful against the Seahawks offense. That was also before the Seahawks defense was fixed. <laughs> I mean, this this will be an interesting measure, right? You talked about this. Be, in yeah. fact, in fact, you kept being like, Give, wait until there's the good team. Wait until there's the good team. Then I'll this, let you know. This is, is this it? team good enough? You have to tell me they, going in. You can't revise it after. They are good enough offensively. So, yes, it will be a measure of the defense. Okay. If the like, defense plays well in this game, you will, you will say that the defense is improved. It's very possible the Seahawks could win this game and the defense could get thrashed. I'm not, yeah, I'm not saying win loss. I'm just saying Seahawks defense. If yeah. they play well in this game. So here's another thing to look at that helps explain why their points are not very high. Uh, the Giants have 71 drives offensively through seven games. The only teams that have averaged fewer drives per game are Atlanta, who has 69 through seven games, and the Raiders, who have 57 through six games. The Seahawks are have 72 through seven games, so similar amount. What a weird fucking team. I mean, <laughs> yeah. not, they're not that... Dis- well, the Seahawks can pass the ball significantly better. Yes. I just I they're such a hard team to even understand what's going on there though. And and why they are the way they are. Pythagorean wise, they're probably four and three team. Yes. Somewhere but there's around a, there. But there's a huge difference offensively in yards per play. The Seahawks are averaging six point three yards per play. The Giants are averaging five point two. It's a little I mean, this they're not writing stories about how the Seahawks are the worst DVOA wise, right? Like the Seahawks are a better team statistically in almost every capacity, offense, defense, and special teams. Uh, I don't know about special teams. I guess, I guess special teams has been kind of, there's it, been some ugly ones. It has not been good because of some unrepeatable things. Yeah, the, the Giants are ahead in special teams, DVOA. But so offense and defense, advanced statistic-wise, even probably basic statistic-wise, the Seahawks are a better team. They're playing in Seattle. The defense, but the has been Giants playing. do have a better point differential than the Seahawks, which the Seahawks' point differential is still negative. That's kind of wild too. Is it just because that San Francisco game? Yeah, it's like the only game that they got blown out in. That's just a weird game. But they haven't had that many blowouts themselves. So they're the Giants are plus two point nine points per game. The Seahawks are minus zero point four. I'm I'm I was feeling this way beforehand, but after hearing you talk about the Giants, I'm sniffing it out. And I and I think this is I think this is the blowout. I think this is the comeback down to earth game for the Giants. Like, if if the Seahawks can score on them consistently, it's going to require the Giants to do something that they have not done yet. And the Seahawks have won a shootout. They won a couple of. I mean, you could almost call that Chargers game a shootout, right? Like they've put up points pretty consistently, and the Giants have won in very very strange ways every week and I, and I think that the record is confusing people a little bit but underneath there is not there is a football team that's better than they were but they're not that much better and the Giants have had all these comebacks but they haven't necessarily faced huge deficits they were down 13 nothing to the Titans in week one they were let's see against they trail against Green Bay yeah they were down 
seventeen to three against the Packers in Week Four or Week Five, and then last week they were down. Uh, never by that significant margin. Seventeen thirteen was their biggest deficit. So there's never been a situation where they've been like forced to become one dimensional and pass all the time. I yes, I'm not saying that necessarily will happen, but that would be the recipe for a blowout. And I think it's really about, I mean, it's going to be about containing Saquon and forcing them to pass in those situations. Like they haven't been exceptional on third down or particularly special on third down more than you would expect. But like, let's see it. Let's make them pick up those third downs. And it's about containing dimes on the scramble. And in, I would in designed runs. I would going to be rather part of the mix as well. The Seahawks secondary. I also just fucking love Ryan Neal, by the way. Why was he not playing all the time? That's a good question. I don't get it. I mean, I remember in week one when Jamal got hurt, it was just like Josh Jones came in, right? And it was like, is Ryan Neal not still on this team? Has he not proven that he's a starting caliber safety over and over and over again? It's all very fair. Uh, and it's it's been a huge difference. I mean, we saw it against the Chargers last week, how different it was. But they're not that type of team that kills the, the Seahawks. Right, right. you'll play on a few hours sleep as he dealt with a 24-hour hour illness oh my on God. Sunday. Threw up after the interception. Holy shit. On the sidelines. Uh, but they're not that type of team. The Giants are not that team that thrashes the Seahawks that we've seen. And I would much rather see the Seahawks linebackers stopping Daniel Jones than running around in coverage. Right? Yeah. If they could get some pass rush get after them a little bit. I'm just, I'm really feeling good about this one. Chances of victory? It's the first game we've seen where it might be, is it supposed to rain, right? It's supposed to be kind of kind of gross out there. I mean, it's basically rainy for like a week straight. So yeah, I, I'm imagining so. Uh, of the Geno Smith starting quarterback era. Oh my God. 0.9 inches of rain forecast for Sunday at this point. Oh shit. <laughs> get, that, get out that poncho. So there's going to be some slop. Who knows how that affects things, but I just, I'm feeling really good about this one and the Seahawks getting to five and three here. Uh, and I think it's one of those games. I think it's a wake up call on both sides. And I'm going to say that there is a 77% chance. Of wow. Does the Seahawks have a 77 and is Q Jeff wearing 77? I thought he was 90. Is he, that might have been like his his number way back in the day. Uh, yeah, no, Q Jeff is wearing seventy seven, so we it's go. the Quinn Jefferson odds of victory. I'm not that optimistic. I'm going to go about sixty five percent, which is higher certainly than the line, which is Seahawks minus two and a half or three, depending on when you look at it. Which basically implies these are even teams, and just giving the Seahawks the benefit of home field. I don't think it's unfair. People look. You, you still have to factor it. You I mean, the giant to. the Giants feel very disrespected that they're six and one, and underdogs going on the road to play at four and three team. They're wrong, just, but that's how they thought feel. about this before. You don't think the teams should be judged by their record? <laughs> no, <laughs> judge not by a team's record, but only by the quality of thy victory. I mean, I think <laughs> I, if I'm being honest, I think Vegas is probably underrating both of these teams to a degree. I agree. That they're sticking a little too hard with their priors in this case. But uh, it probably about evens out between the two teams. Who do the Seahawks have next week? 
Well, that's a good question. I mean, what was the game? I think the Bills and the Packers is a 10 and a half point. The Bills are 10 and a half point favorites, something like that. It's double digit yep. favorites. It's the largest was, of Aaron Rodgers' career. That was one where I was like, wow, Vegas is really not sticking with their priors here. That's fair. Yes. Uh, the Seahawks are at Arizona after the Giants game. Man, that is, and Arizona's off this week. No, Arizona plays at Minnesota this week. Oh, interesting. That'll be a fascinating one as far as how, I mean, two teams played a couple of weeks ago. Arizona's a tough team to read. It'll be interesting to see as, as the Seahawks can, if, again, assuming this happens, as they continue to play well, how Vegas starts changing their perspectives. And I think, what? Vegas can't predict how they're going to feel if the Seahawks keep winning. That's true. Golden cast, golden rule. On that note. Thanks for listening. Thanks.